Your eyes and your vision are under attack, damaging blue light from the sun. Your phone, your computer, your tablet, even light bulbs and car headlights is constantly bombarding you. The good news is our eyes actually already have a line of defense to counter the effects of blue light. This defense is made up of three pigments called carotenoids. MacuHealth with Micromycel, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromycel technology. Well, you bring up a really good point, and that's, you know, you can either look at your weaknesses as a leader and try, you know, just to put your nose to the grindstone and change those, or you can put a team around you that will support you in your areas of weakness and really lean in heavily on your strengths. And that's the easier lift. And uh, if we pay attention to Colby theory, that's what Colby theory says is the, the better thing to do, because according to Colby theory, you'll never change the way that you work. Um, and in your most efficient tasks, you're never going to grow quote unquote in those areas. You're always going to have um, certain weaknesses. Welcome to the Vision of Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Ted McElroy. This podcast is dedicated to helping you find your wins, have a better quality of life, and become the best leader you can be. Hey, have you subscribed to this podcast yet? Don't miss an episode. They're worth every single thing you paid for them, which is nothing because they're free. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast by hitting the subscribe button. Give us a rating and a review on your specific podcast player. This helps us with our podcast rankings and makes it easier for people to find us. And as always, please support those who help support us. On episode 102 of this podcast, Chris interviewed Justin Kwan, Michelle Andrews, and Richard Ruth. They pointed out that as a profession, we have done a great job of letting our patients know that myopia is not a big deal. If you can see 2020, there is no worry. It is the high myopes that are more danger. And as they said, that message is tragic. Any myopia has a higher risk of maculopathy, glaucoma, and earlier cataract development. In the MySight One Day clinical trials, only 4% of study participants who got ProClear One Days stayed stable in their myopia progression over the three-year period. That means you can confidently say, parent, by not going to a system geared to slow the myopia progression, there is a 96% chance your child's vision will get worse. This may take away some of the choice your child has in the future as to how they will correct their vision. Choice, not fear of the disease associations with myopia, is what best resonates with parents when it comes to myopia control for their children. And with Cooper Vision's MySight One Day, we now have an FDA-approved single-use contact lens to lessen the progression of myopia in our patients. Contact your Cooper Vision representative to find out more about MySight One Day contact lenses. Welcome to the Vision Leadership Podcast. Today, I am really excited. I know I say this every time. I am really, really excited about having my dear friend, Deidre Romero, with us. Deidre is from Nashville, Tennessee. She is the community uh, manager for chriscar.com, which I'm going to get her to get into in a little bit. She's recently made a change. I think she's been at this job for like a month and uh, is crushing it already, of course. And uh, Deidre wow. and I know each other really well, primarily because of her work with Full Focus. She was a, a team member there for many years. 
And she and I have known each other for the last three years because she took excellent care of me and my group every single time we came to Nashville. So Deidre, I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for that introduction. I'm glad this is recorded so that I can send that to my mom. She'll be super proud. You're <laughs> so kind. Well, very good. Yeah. You know, and um, in addition to the fact that you are uh, an amazing business person, you're also an amazing mom on top of all of that. And uh, that would be also a really cool thing to talk about how you balance those kind of things. So remind me if we don't remember to get back to that, I would love to get back to that again. Okay. Um, sure. The one thing I want to have you on today is because there are so many different personality profile things out there. There's, you know, Myers-Briggs, there's DISC, there's, um, you know, sometimes you're going to be a tortoise or a bear or a, I don't know, there's so many <laughs> different things out there. But you really are very versed in a thing called the Colby uh, yeah. profile. And that was one of the things that we went through. And try as I might, I have been explained it by you many times. And I think I got a handle on it until I actually go back and try to use it. And it's just not quite sinking in for me. So what I'd love for people to hear is what this, because honestly, that was the first time I'd ever heard of it was with, we were doing this through full focus, what this is, but it is a really powerful tool. And that's one reason why I would love to know and be able to use it a little bit better. So can you kind of dig into that for me and, and, and help me? Deidre, please. Yes. I'm so happy to help you. Okay. So if you don't know what Colby is, it is an assessment that measures conation. And I'm actually certified in Colby. So I am well-versed to your point. And I'm also um, really well-equipped to help walk you through this, help explain it from the ground up. Um, So when I say conation, that it's an assessment that measures conation, what I'm talking about is the part of your brain that is your productive part of your brain, your problem solving side of your brain. You might refer to this as mental energy. I hear a lot of people talking about mental energy and usually what they're talking about is conation, how you approach problems and how you initiate problem solving. So that word is crucial too, in understanding what Colby is and what it measures, because it's actually very narrow. Colby is not like other assessments like Myers-Briggs or DISC that give you a full personality assessment. Colby's actually not a personality assessment at all. It's more of a productivity assessment. Okay, so Colby measures conation. And like I said, that's a very, it's a very narrow thing that it measures. And so with DISC or Myers-Briggs or other assessments like the Enneagram, you can make really broad overarching assessments about what they are and, and predictive behavior. And Colby only predicts one thing. And that one thing is how you will approach a problem. When you are set out to solve that problem, how are you going to approach it? What's your first instinct going to be? So it is instinctual, which is also really unique, and it does not change over time. Whereas your DISC profile or Myers-Briggs, they can change over time if you take them 10 years apart from each other. Um, You'll get different results. But with Colby, the variance is very small if you were to take it. And they've done a ton of research about this. So I want to dig in, Ted, with your Colby MO. And when I say your MO, these are the four Colby numbers that um, you get after you take a quick assessment, online assessment. All right. So this will give everybody how easy this is to follow. I'm an 8346. Okay. I'm jotting this down right now. So 
your Colby MO is 8346. So I'm going to break down each of those numbers. And this is kind of hard to teach in an auditory format. So if you're listening, I want you to envision four numbers, 8346. And we're going to look at each of those numbers. Each of those numbers symbolizes where you stand on a certain Colby mode. All right. So the first mode we're going to talk about is your fact finder. That's that first number. All right. So if I were to say you initiate in fact finder, that means you have a high number. So between seven and 10 in fact finder. And that would mean that your behaviors fit into um, a certain bucket and they're going to be predictive. Now, your fact finder is how you gather information. All right. So somebody who is um, on, let's say they're between a one and a three in fact finder, their behavior is going to be super different from you, Ted, because you're an eight in fact finder. Now, I want to say with Colby, there are no weaknesses. This is merely a strengths indicator. So everybody, if you have a one in fact finder, that's a strength in its own really unique way. And it gives you um, really unique capabilities that you don't have, Ted, and that you'll never have as an eight in fact finder. So I wanted to kind of dispel that myth that higher numbers are better in Colby. That's just not true at all. That's not how it's designed to work at all. So I want to dig in a little bit more with fact finder. So because you're an eight in fact finder, you're high on the fact finder scale. That would mean that you, when I drop a problem on you, you are going to need a lot of information. You're going to want data statistics. You're going to want to research and really dig in before you take action. Does that feel true to you? Yeah, definitely. So this is the, this yeah. is the one connection that I do understand, I guess. Okay. So uh, I guess because it's the first one and I, I can't quite get past the next yeah. steps. In which <laughs> the next one is hard to understand. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to talk about if somebody is, is low in fact finder, quote unquote low, really there's not a low and high. And Colby does not like that language with low and high. Um, they prefer to use the language of initiate versus counteract, but that's hard for people to understand. So for the sake of ease, I'm going to use low and high when we're talking about it. But let's say there's somebody who's between a one and a three in fact finder. That behavior is going to look very different from you. And that person is not going to need as much information as you're going to need. They are going to be very good at summarizing data. They're going to be great at taking a a ton of data and pulling out the really important points and condensing it. And they can take really complex things and principles and um, really complex ideas and distill them down to the very core. And they're great teachers. Think about some of your really amazing teachers that you've had in your lifetime. They were really good good at taking these complex ideas and making them super simple. They were probably low in fact finder. So for instance, my my soon-to-be partner, Julia, is a three, four, seven, seven. And and later on, y'all, we're gonna get into why these numbers matter when you're sort of trying to compare them. So don't get ahead of either Deidre or I. But you know, so she would be on this other end of the scale. She would be this yeah. one to three person you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And she is very good at condensing and taking some of this information and sort of putting it into a smaller thimble of information. Whereas I show up there with a truckload of. Yes, exactly. So you can view these strengths as being um, in conflict with one another, or you can view them as being complementary of each other, which I think that these strengths complement each other really well, especially if you're on a small team and you have a lot of trust between the two of you and a lot of mutual respect. 
Um, sometimes there can be conflicts when people are at polar opposites of the of Colby on Colby numbers like this, because they don't understand the other person. And they chalk it up to, oh, it's just their personality. Oh, they're just being difficult. Oh, you know, you could chalk it up with her. You could say, oh, she's just not being as thorough as I am to research things. That's not true at all. She just doesn't need as much research and as much data to make choices and make to take action as what you need. And that's the real difference there. If, If you can approach it with the perspective of respect and realizing that Jillian's never going to change. She's never going to be an eight in fact finder because that's her unique instinctive fact finder. Right. Okay. So then that's probably, so I'm going to approach a problem more along the lines of making sure I can get as much information as possible before I can make a decision. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And you're really going to be handicapped. I mean, you really will not be able, if, if you were, if I were to force you to make a decision before you feel like you have enough data and like enough research completed, that would really stress you out. It would put you into a conative strain. It would force you to work against your conative instincts. But being aware of this, does it make it easier to perhaps work in some of those other frameworks? In other words, mm-hmm. might it? Yeah. I know I'm. I have a hard time with that, and I know mm-hmm. I'm working say with Julia, and she has this. You know, again, I know y'all hate to use it, but low fact finder. Knowing that she is more, she doesn't have to have as much of the information. Not only can I appreciate that, but it might work as a as a good way to balance out what I'm missing or what she's missing because wow. we're those two different sides of things, but also. Yeah it makes it a little easier for me to go, Oh, well, I know I've got to have all this information, but it's just not going to be available. So I, I've, I've just, yes. I know that. So since I'm aware, yeah. of that, I can move on knowing that, okay, I'm going to have to just be okay with this. Yeah, exactly. And I talk a lot about this, how education can really bridge that gap for you. And I think a lot of it is giving you language and kind of giving you a schema, a mental schema to put it into so that you understand, okay, exactly how you said it, Ted. I don't have enough information. I know that that's why I feel anxious and I'm not ready to move on this decision. But Julia, she is low fact finder. We don't have a lot of information right now. I know she's going to be comfortable making the next move with the little information and the details that we have. Yeah. I mean, we, for instance, we just put in a new piece of technology today. They came in and did our education for us today. And, you know, I'm, sitting there knowing that I'm not going to know everything by the end of the day of how this thing works. And it's driving me crazy a little bit because I want to have all the information to know all the right questions to ask and all the, you know, and so she's kind of heard 30 seconds of this thing and she goes, well, when can we get started? You know, that kind of thing. And yeah, but I understand, and I appreciate she's able to do that. I really do like the fact that she can do that because it is, is a lot freeing knowing that there's not two of us, it is. everybody crazy that way. Right. And if you can look at it from that perspective, that really empowers you and sets you up for success. Also, I think I called her Jillian earlier, That's but right. I meant to say Julia. So, yeah, <laughs> Julia, I'm sorry. She was with working with us. I mean, this like actually, you know, under contract at the office. She'd been with us for two days and I referred to her not as Julia Harrison, but as Julia Hudson, um, you know, to, and I think That's I did fine. that for about two or three days before she <laughs> keep doing that. And I go, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. So are you ready to move on to the second number? Yes. Let's do another comb. 
Okay, so another column. So the second column here is your follow through. And this is this number measures your relationship to systems and processes. So it's how you organize data. Okay. Now, this is it really is a hard one to understand. This one and the last number are, are difficult to grasp. So I want to um, I want to give you a really, really good metaphor for this. If I were to hand you a thumb drive that had, let's say, 500 random, 500 random files on it. And I said, Ted, go, I want you to take this thumb drive. I want you to organize this, create a system on how to organize all this information. And I want you to document your process as you go. Um, how do you feel about that? Would that be like a nightmare slog for you? Or would that be work that you would enjoy and thrive in? Yeah, I don't think I'd enjoy that at all. Yeah. So somebody who's high in follow through, they really enjoy creating these systems and these processes. They're very good at seeing a process from start to finish. And that's why it's called follow through. So if there's a long checklist, they're very good at checking every single checkbox and being very thorough and detailed along the way. And that's not your strength. It's not my strength. I'm, I'm in the mid range and follow through. And I find that work to be really exhausting. It's mentally draining to me because my conation is not wired towards that kind of work. Now, some people, these are your operations managers, your very detailed those, those people that you're like, oh, they're just detail-oriented. This is why we say that about them is because they're very thorough with a process and they can follow it from start to finish. Now, somebody who's like you, a three in follow-through, if you're in that one to three zone, you're going to find every shortcut you can, every single shortcut to circumvent the process yep. because you're like, I don't care about the checklist. I don't care about the system. Just get me to that end result. But there really is a gifting. And I tell all business owners that I coach with Colby, I tell them there really is, um, there's, there's value in that in your organization. Anybody who's built out SOPs knows that they need somebody on their team who is really thorough in checking all the boxes and making sure that, that every step in the process is represented well. So you just mentioned SOPs for those that don't know the standard operating procedures. And uh, about three years ago, my uh, EA executive assistant um, wanted to establish some standard operating procedures. And I was just chafing every time we even just talked. Yeah, about it. Um, yeah. So, yeah this is kind of like yeah, Deidre's reading my mail right now on this whole thing. So, yeah. 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 And looking at Julia's profile too, she's a four. So she's really not much better than you on, um, yeah. on, yeah, on follow through, um, which is great because that means you guys can, you're very good at cutting through bureaucracy or red tape. So if there's a really lengthy process in your office that you find that is holding you back, you're going to be like, why do we have to do it this way? I don't want to do it this way. You're going to push against the system. And again, that's healthy tension that every organization needs, right? Would you agree? Yeah. So, so would this, maybe this is stretching a little bit, but would this be one of the reasons also why I'm so frustrated of having to um, remind people regularly about how we're supposed to do things this way or um, because I'm just wanting them to just hear it one time and move on. Is that kind of. That that's aspect? just you being you. Ed. <laughs> I think that's a more of a personality thing. So that's, you bring up a good point. 
Now, I want to go back to this idea that Colby measures something that's really, really narrow. And sometimes we can tangle up personality with what Colby is. Okay. So for example, um, I hate systems and processes. I really do, but I know that they're so valuable. I hate creating them. So I understand the value in it and my preferences that, that we have them in an organization that I'm working for. Right. So anytime you're thinking about a preference like that, that's really a personality. That's your, anything that's emotions, preferences, your likes and dislikes, that's going to be more on the personality side. So just because you are low in follow through, I'm doing air quotes with my fingers. That doesn't mean that you don't value a system. You don't value a checklist. Trust me. I want my financial advisor to have a checklist. I want them to be very thorough and have a detailed process that they can explain to me. So I put value in that. That doesn't mean I want to be the person to create those things. Does that make sense? Completely. Yes. And I, and I agree with everything you're saying as far as having to have those systems, because without those systems, it's just chaotic for all of our customers. It is. It is. Yeah. And you really do hit a lid very quickly. I've seen teams that don't have enough follow through on their team because follow throughs are pumping brakes, right? They're the people saying, wait, we don't have a system created for this. Wait, we don't have an SOP for this. Um, Did you check this thing, right? They're pumping the brakes a lot. And sometimes they get a bad rap in organizations, especially organizations that are small, entrepreneurial-led, visionary-led. And a lot of times those types of organizations don't hire people like that, or they don't people like that don't last at their companies. And so you can't grow and scale a company to any kind of sizable place without having people who know processes, who will put systems in place and who are not afraid to call people out on it. Yep. Yep. Right. Let's talk about the fun one though. This is the third number in your profile. And I say that it's fun because it's the easiest to explain and it's the quick start. Right. Call on. All right. So you're a four in quick start. So you're in that mid range of quick start. Quick start measures your relationship to risk. So this is an interesting thing too, because people think you can change how you feel about risks. You can't, especially when it comes to um, problem solving. If you perceive a risk there, Ted, you're really in that middle zone. So you're going to really want to thoroughly research risks, leaning into your fact finder, Mm -hmm. and you're going to look at what the precedent is. So you're going to say, what did we do last time? And will this work now? And you'll experiment with trying new things or taking small risks, but you're, that's not, never going to be your first way to solve a problem. I'm high in fact finder. I initiate, I'm, I'm sorry, in quick start, I initiate in quick start. My first inclination to solve any problem is going to be, let me trial and error it on my own. Let me just see if I can make this work. Like my washing machine broke. And I was out there like YouTubing stuff, trying to fix it myself, leaning on my fact finder because it's seven, quick starts an eight. And that's a perfect example. I'm solving a novel problem I've never seen before. So the natural way that I approach it is let me like experiment, try some things. Okay, that didn't work. Let me do lean on my fact finder, do some research. Let me go back, like tinker some more. And I always break things. So that's fun. But that's what a quick start looks like. That's how we approach problems is to dive in and just start trying things because we're not afraid of taking risks and we want to reach a solution quickly. So that's the other thing about a quick start is that they create a sense of urgency 
because they're trying to trial and error things so they can get to the solution. That's our method to get to the solution is to work through all the options available to us. Whereas somebody who's fact finder, you're going to say, let me work through all the information at my fingertips. Somebody who initiates in follow through, they're going to say, let me create a system and a checklist to work through to get me to a solution. Okay. Is this all becoming clear? Is the fog starting to clear? A little bit. Yeah. I think, again, you know, we and I talked about this a minute ago. I think just the numbering system is what makes it kind of difficult. It really the numbering is. system is confusing. Yeah. You know, it absolutely is. That would, yeah. Okay. So, so now Julia uh, is a seven in quick. Right. Start. Yes. So what's interesting about Julia is that she initiates with her quick start and implementer, which is her last number, which we haven't talked about yet. And the quick start is going to trump the implementer number. So she's sevens in both of those. So Julia's first instinct, if you were to drop a problem on her would be let's experiment, let's try something different. And that's really great when it comes to innovation, right? She's willing to take risks, but people who are lower and in quick start. So in the one to three range, they're going to be more focused on the past. How did we solve this problem last time we saw this come up? They're, yeah, they're really going to be focused on that precedent. And what's the precedent that we've set here? Does that make sense? It does. But, but I still, I'm, one thing I am thinking on though is again, and maybe this goes back to that same question I asked earlier, being aware of this, is it, is yeah. it possible and I know this is going to be the wrong word to use, but is it possible to overcome some of these tendencies or, you know, to, to work yourself into a different profile, so to speak? Uh, because it feels like I have gotten way more comfortable with risk as, uh-huh. as time has gone on. Uh, in fact, it's, it's kind of weird. It seems like, you know, you think most time when people get older, they become less comfortable with risk. I've almost become more comfortable with risk over time. And yeah, I'm not sure what is driving that, or maybe I just didn't answer the questions right. So if I were to drop a new problem on you, what I would be want, your first? Thing? I still want to know, you know, try to figure out as much as I could about it before I try to do anything. You know, that's still yeah. the first thing, but yeah. I get, again, so it's really, Mm-hmm. It leans on how you initiate action, right? Your first instinct in problem solving, because when push comes to shove, you're going to default to your instinct. So and this, if you're in a high stress situation, that's going to be the first lever you pull. So this is the thing. This is, I think this is the part where it becomes more clear for me now, knowing that it's not, yes, all those numbers make up me, but it's what's the biggest number you got. That's what you're going to do first. Yeah. And you'll become maybe more comfortable with some of those other ones. But if it's a real stressful situation, it's all about gather as much information as I can to see what I can do to make this work out. Yeah. So uh, let's go back to your follow through being a three. You understand the importance and the values of SOPs in your organization. And if I gave you an SOP and I said, Ted, you have to do it like this or the company's going to break. You could follow the checklist, right? You could be thorough and detailed. You would not work as quickly or as efficiently. You would not be as thorough as other people who initiate in 
in follow through. So it's not that it's not about ability, right? Because you have the ability to follow a system and even create a system. If I made you, you know, if I forced you to create an SOP, you'd be able to do it, but it's going to take you three hours. Whereas somebody who initiates in follow through, it's going to take them one hour. Do you see what I'm saying? It's really not about ability. It's about ease of completing the task and instinct. How are you first going to approach a task? Right. Okay. Very much. I get it now. Yeah. So well, this, the seat is very narrow. I think you were just trying to make it too broad and what yeah, it measures. And it's yeah. very, very narrow. See, and for everybody out in the listening to this, y'all are already are realizing that every single time I do one of these, this is nothing more than me just getting $10,000 worth of free consult. Right. So. That's all you're doing right now. Literally. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So let's talk about implementer because this is another hard one. That's really hard. And you and Julia are both really high on this. And it makes sense because you have to use tools in your job, right? And you're like physically as practitioners, you have to use instruments and tools and measurements and technology, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So you're a six and Julia's a seven, and that makes perfect sense to me. So whenever you're solving a problem, that means that you need to physically interact in order to find a solution for that problem. That's the scope of your work. It, it requires you to pick up tools to do your work. Now, my job's completely virtual. I don't use any tools. I don't touch anything except my laptop when I'm working in my planner. That's it. So I have a one in in implementer. If I'm going to solve a problem, I'm going to solve it in my head. I'm not going to need to touch anything, see anything, hold anything, measure anything at all. I'm not going to do that um, because I just don't need to. So this is one, if you've taken Colby and you have a job that's very, like, let's say you're a photographer or you're um, a dentist, somebody that works with a lot of tools, you're, you'll probably have a mid to a high implementer score. But if you're somebody that doesn't interact physically at all with anything, you're probably going to be in that lower range. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah. I've often wondered if I was a nurse, you know, and I'm using tools and and things like that. I wonder if I would have a high implementer. Um, I wonder if that's, and I haven't consulted with anybody at Colby about this, but I'm very curious about how the implementer profile has changed over the years as we become a more virtual, less hands-on society. Because uh, Colby was invented originally in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious about how it's changed over time. Yeah. I mean, because, and, and it would seem like they would want to, to adapt to the, to what is happening in our current time. Um, I mean, let's look at the way surgery is done in a lot of settings now. I mean, you know, when you're talking about surgery, um, they're not holding a scalpel. They're taking a stick, you know, and they're kind of just watching them on a screen. And uh, it's, it's very different from what it was 20 years ago. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so now we're going to talk about, we've, we've gone through all these. Is it wise when you're putting together all of these conations to try and, and again, I'm falling into the trap of your weaknesses and your strengths, but is it best to try and find enough people who balance out everything? Yeah. Well, Uh, let's talk about, I feel like I explained what Colby is, like what the definition of it is, but let's talk about application. Like really, how do you use this? How does it make a difference? Um. Personally, it's really helpful to know your Colby score 
so that you can understand what your highest and best contribution is. So based off of your Colby score, Ted, we're not going to put you in charge of operations. We're not going to put you in charge of SOPs. Um, We're not going to put you in charge of innovating. Like I would never send you into a silo by yourself to create your annual goals for the company next year. Because somebody who's high and quick start is going to push those goals a little bit further than you would. They're going to be a little bit more aspirational with those goals, a little bit more experimental with the goals. So that's the, the personal application of Colby is understanding what your best contribution is. And also from a productivity perspective, it helps you understand if you're really slow at a task or you find certain tasks really daunting to do, this is why. It's because those things create cognitive tension or cognitive stress for you because you're working against your cold BMO. So if you can work with tasks, Ted, that set you up to obviously use your tools implementer because you're a six and implementer, you're very high there. Um, And then also research, gathering data, information, all of those things, that's really going to be your strong suit is also creating shortcuts. Once again, going back to your three in follow through, figuring out ways to be more efficient in that regard and cutting through red tape to be more efficient and get to that final product faster. That's going to be your best contribution. Okay. Very good. So hopefully (laughs) this all fits into what I do every day, Um, you know, because otherwise if you're working against the grain here, it's not a good kind of discomfort. It's a bad kind of discomfort. Um, Right. You know, I mean, it would it would seem that to try and it's it's almost like I I probably wouldn't last very long in some of these roles, perhaps. Um, so right. if you know some of these things, and you're setting the profiles together with these Colby um, profiles, you should be able to better assess candidates that are coming in for a role. Yes. Right. And that's the other application that Colby's really great at. It's assessing job fit in your organization. So let's say that you're hiring a project manager. Somebody who's really good at project management is high. Typically, they tend to be, and this changes from business to business. Typically, they're high in follow through and either fact finder or quick start. But you don't want to have a project manager who's a three and follow through because they're not good at finishing a process from start to finish, right? You want project managers who can get things across the finish line, who can put a deadline on something and meet that deadline. And somebody who is low and follow, they're just, they're just, they're not able to do that without a lot of friction and a lot of like banging their head against their desk. Right. So for like, for me, I I really enjoy sitting around and thinking, what about, how would, how would this work? What could we possibly do there? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and um, maybe putting a little bit of an invention of kind of things, sort of putting some of those pieces together a little bit. Once I've gotten all the answers, of course, I have to get the answers first. Yeah. Right. And once I go to that part, I'll go, okay, y'all just run with that. I'm, I'm going to go start something new over here. Yes. Uh, yes, exactly. Cause that's your low follow through. Like, I don't need to see this to the end. Let me just pass the ball to you and you take it away. Yeah. It's, I think there's a, the, the phrase is the, is the, was it the 10, 80, 10 or the 20, 60, 20 rule. You know, I'm, I'm real good at that first 10 to 20%. Yeah. Terrible at the stuff in the middle and really good at the very end of the finish line. I, I want to, you know, I'm, I'm great at let's get the ball rolling. I'm going to let y'all run 
almost all the way to the finish line and I'll show up at the very end and I'll look really good when we all cross the finish line together. Yes. Yes. So let's talk about Julia too, because she's going to be much the same way as you. She's also low and follow through. She's high and quick start. So she gets very excited to, to kick off things. Once the novelty's kind of worn off, she gets bored with it, bored easily. And she's like, eh, I'm out. You guys figure, figure this out, finish it up for me. Um, so that means that you really need to equip your teams your team with people who are high and follow through. You really do need that. Yeah. I can't, I think we've kind of accidentally done that, <laughs> which is, yeah. And, you know, because a lot of the time, a lot of the teams that we put together for our practice, fortunately, we got a good bit of longevity was well before I even knew this kind of stuff existed. Um, I, I did know that there were certain things I just wasn't good at. And part of yeah. that was being self-aware enough to know that I wasn't very good at it. And hopefully yeah. finally getting to the part where my ego was low enough that I could go, okay, I'm just not good. I'm going to let that go and let somebody else who does it well do it. Yeah. Well, you bring up a really good point and that's, you know, you can either look at your weaknesses as a leader and try, you know, just to put your nose to the grindstone and change those, or you can put a team around you that will support you in your areas of weakness and really lean in heavily on your strengths. And that's the easier lift. And uh, if we pay attention to Colby theory, that's what Colby theory says is the, the better thing to do, because according to Colby theory, you'll never change the way that you work um, and in your most efficient tasks, you're never going to grow quote unquote in those areas. You're always going to have um, certain weaknesses. Right. So what else do I need to know about Colby? Um, I think if you're using it beyond your personal application, using it to hire on your teams is a really good idea. Colby has a lot of different assessments. I mean, we've like barely scratched the surface in these last 20 minutes together with what Colby can do and how you can use it with your teams. So you can reach out to Colby, go, if you're interested and you want to take the Colby assessment, I think it's around $60 to take it. You can go to Colby.com. You can take the assessment there. I'm also a certified consultant, so I'm happy to chat with anybody who wants to know more about it. I do um, team trainings, which I've trained your team, but not in Colby before, just in Focus Planner. Um, so it's it, there are tons of great consultants out there that can help you. And if you're if you get your Colby results and you're like, oh, this is really interesting, I want to know more, or I want to know a deeper application of this, a consultant can work with you to help you do that. So. Um, there's some really good conclusions we can draw from Colby. And I've loved using it as a tool, especially in the hiring process. I've had great results with clients using it and predicting success, people's success and roles. I've had so many clients do a consult with me and they've said, I love this person. They're a potential candidate for a job. They have such a great personality. They're such a good cultural fit. They've done work like this before, but their Colby results came back terrible. Their right fit score which is the assessment that Colby runs to, to determine their fit for the job. Their right fit was a D. And I'm like, you know, you have to weigh these things. This is important intel for you to have. So that means that the tasks that you're giving this person to do, they're probably going to be slower. They're, they're going to make more errors. They're not going to enjoy this work. It's going to stress them out to do this kind of work. So that's just that's a decision that you have to make. Like, are those operational results that you want for your business? So you're basically just setting them up to fail. 
I am. Yeah. I'm like, you make the choice. Here's all your information. Same thing I do with my kids in parenting. You know, we call that natural consequences is what we call yeah. that these days. But I mean, <laughs> this just goes into the part about why it's so important to know these things again, because like, like you said, I mean, if, if I decided that I'm going to go against your orders, against what yeah. you told me, you know, I've literally set them up to fail. I've set them. I mean, I mean that's not everybody, but you know, and maybe you get this person who's just long suffering and they can go through with it, but they're not yeah. going to get joy out of their job. No. They're not going to enjoy they're not. what they're going to do every day. Right. It's going to hurt your retention for your employees. Now, what you can do is you can tweak the job. It's easier to change the job and the tasks that you're asking them to do than it is to, to, to pour tons of thousands of dollars into development and leadership coaching and training into that person because coaching is only going to get you so far. You're trying to coach them. It's going to suck up your time going to cost the company a lot of money. Um, the easier lift is to take some of the tasks. Let's say that I hired somebody who's high quick start, but I didn't have any high quick start type of tasks to give them. And I was giving them all uh, high fact finder tasks and that's not in their Colby amount. I could take some of those tasks off of their task list, give them to other team members and add some things on that would really invigorate them and really lean into their strengths. And they would be an all-star overnight. I mean, it would be just a dramatic transformation. So that's a cheaper, that's cheaper to do that. Right. Yeah. I mean, and on top of this, I mean, let's face it, it just costs you 60 bucks to figure that out as opposed to all the pain and indignation of not knowing and just trying to make them fit into this hole that they don't fit into. Um, Yeah. So much better. So much better. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm going to shift things a little bit. Uh, This is, you know, yeah, because I I think it's really important that we talk about some other things as far as you just made a big change in your life. Uh, You had been working with a group that you really enjoyed working with for how many years were you with full focus? I was there for four and a half years. Yeah. And, you know, had a wonderful team. You got to work with some really great people and uh, an opportunity opened up for you. Yeah. And you decide to make a change. Yeah. So, you know, what, what was that experience like? I mean, because and the reason I'm going through this is because it seems like everybody right now is deciding to make a change. Job and, transition. Yeah. And so what were the pluses and minuses behind this process that you went through and how did you decide this was the right thing for me and yeah. that whole thing? Yeah. Well, I, I loved my work at full focus. I, I was thinking about it before we hopped on here because it's changed my life in so many ways, working for full focus, um, not just professionally, but personally knowing people like you, knowing people like our friend, Lisa Marker Robbins, who I'm super close with. I talk to almost every single day. And before I hopped on this podcast with you, I was listening to another podcast from a former client, Lisa Marie Bobby, who's a therapist. And I love her podcast. And it, my life is, is so enriched by all of these relationships that I've made through Full Focus. It was very hard for me to even consider leaving the company because I felt so cherished and cared for. And I felt so in line with the mission of the company and what we were doing. And I loved my work and I was getting to do work that I really, really cared about. Um, So maybe you're like, well, why did you decide to leave? Um, That's a good question. There were a lot of other factors that I was taking into account. I'm a single mom and 
I felt like it was time for me to move my career to the next level, the next leadership level. And there wasn't an opportunity at Full Focus for me to do that. I had really moved up as quickly as I could, and there was nothing above me. There were no leadership opportunities available to me. And I had been super candid with my supervisors about that. And they knew what I wanted. They knew that that was an aim for me. And I really felt like I was ready to challenge myself and develop in that way. Um, so that was, that played a big role. That was a big part of it for me. Um, at full focus, we had a 30 hour work week, which I loved. I love that flexibility with unlimited PTO and great benefits and awesome healthcare 401k. I mean, we just have this beautiful suite of, of benefits. And I knew that if I was going to make a change that I needed similar benefits, I, I, I obviously need a lot of flexibility. I need time off time away from my job to cultivate my life and do hobbies and have a life outside of work and spend time with my little kids and all that stuff was going to be really important to me. So I was looking for the next thing that was going to challenge me professionally. And, um, I found it. I mean, it was, a connection that I had had for years, somebody that I knew really well who reached out to me about this opportunity. And in, you know, this obviously in my role at full focus, I was very niche in what I was doing and that was awesome. And that was great. And I felt like I was contributing really well to the company, but I wanted to stretch myself in other ways professionally. Right. And I have a lot of things that I, w- I wasn't getting to use in that role. So talk about your Colby, right? I-, I-, I was very in line with my Colby MO, but still there were things that I wanted to do that I wasn't getting to do in that role. So fortunately an opportunity came up and it felt really, when it came up, I felt really certain. I was like, this is absolutely the right next move for me. But the actual job transition part was very stressful. It was so stressful. What made it so stressful? And, you know, this was the first time I've done a job transition as a single parent. And there's something to be said about making these big life choices on your own when the stakes are really high like this. And I've made big moves by myself, buying a house, all the things, you know, but this felt the magnitude of this felt really big because I knew that it was going to affect if I made it the wrong choice and I made a job move that wasn't beneficial to my schedule or wasn't beneficial to me and the kids. I knew it was going to take a toll on me personally. And then it was going to have a ripple effect on my kids. Yeah. If I move into a house that I don't like, so what? I'll sell it, right? If I get a car that I don't buy a car I don't like, okay, just sell it, get a new car. Those didn't feel like high stakes, but making a big job transition like this really, it was very, it was incredibly stressful. And I was, I was grieving leaving the company that I loved and leaving a lot of clients that I really, really cared about and had valuable relationships with them. Um, That was hard. So how do you, then how do you motivate yourself? I mean, you, you see this thing and it's not just because it's a bright and shiny object. I mean, this is something that you really see that has a a lot of good potential for you, but how do you muster the abilities to make this change and, and be okay with it? I think that's where my Colby comes into play. My high quick start. I really do because I knew the risks were great, but I was, I also was just so convinced 
every time I've taken big risks like this in my life, and I've been in that place of, of being uncomfortable to the point of being uncomfortable, I I always know that I'm onto something. I have this very, it's, it's, that's just how I make decisions. And if I feel a little bit on the edge of discomfort, I know that I'm in the right zone. And, you know, at Full Focus, we always tell you transformations on the other side of your comfort zone. And I felt like I was crossing out of that. And that was motivation enough for me to be like, okay, I'm moving in the right direction. Also approaching it from an abundance mindset is key when you're making big shifts like this, right? Have you heard of the book Dopamine Nation? I haven't. Okay. It's a fantastic book. It's all about your brain and dopamine and it's uh, an addiction. She's a psychiatrist who specializes in addiction. And so she wrote this book about dopamine and it's fascinating. It is so good. So I recommend it to anybody to listen to it. It's just, especially if you're like a psychology junkie like me, you'll love it. But in the book, she talks about people who are addicts tend to approach life from a scarcity mindset, meaning they can never have enough of the thing that they want. So if they're addicted to money or work or they're addicted to video games, whatever it is, it's this idea that they can never have enough of it. And so they're always trying to get more of it. It's a scarcity mindset. And when you're in a scarcity mindset, you make really poor choices. So they did some research on a group of people, and this is just fascinating to me, but they, um, took people into a room. They told them either a story that was about scarcity or a story that was about abundance. And then they asked them to make choices. And people who heard that abundance story made better choices than the people that heard that story of scarcity and were in that scarcity mindset. And so that's where one one point she makes about addiction and how you just don't make the choices when you're in, in that scarcity mindset. But if you can put yourself into an abundance mindset, which believes that there are a lot of options on the table for you, you're going to make better choices. And so I had to constantly reframe and put myself in that abundance mindset. You know what? If this job is a disaster, that's okay. I can find another job. I've got my Colby certification to lean on. I've got great a great network of former clients that I could call up and I could drum up some work if I had to. So getting into that abundance mindset helped me feel like, okay, I've got options on the table and that helped me make better choices than being in that scarcity mindset. But you're, you leveraged your discomfort. To, I did. And I always do. Yeah. And, and I think and that's, I, don't know if that's, I don't know if that's healthy or not. Though, no, I, I think it's very mean. healthy. I, I think it's very healthy. I think the fact that we we get ourselves into these situations where we're just way too comfortable, there's no growth that's taking place and there's no that's opportunity for, for anything better to come along. And, I, and I'm not saying, you know, this isn't trying to look, oh, there's always something better. I mean, there are some things that I think we should always hold and cherish that are important. Yeah. You know, you, you obviously aren't going to just trade your kids in because you want better kids. But, but you know, if you allow yourself to get too comfortable, you're, you're not going to challenge yourself. You're not going to really grow. Um, you know, the, the only way I get better at, you know, my health is I've got to go out and work out. I can't just sit around and do nothing, um, you know. and that's where that discomfort comes into play. You know, I've got to ignore the fact that sometimes I've got to do stuff I don't like doing. Uh, that doesn't mean I have to do it all the time, but I should mm-hmm. do it when it's necessary. Um, right. Yeah. So we don't want to fall into that. 
that like masochist mindset either, which is like, I'm just going to do things because they hurt. I think we all know people that always run into the burning building for no reason. Like I think these people that run these ultra marathons, these 100 miles, I'm like, what are you doing? That makes no sense to me. But they, you know, that discomfort is appealing to them. And so they're like, I'm going to lean into that discomfort. That's not how I operate. But some discomforts, yes, I do think it's wise to lean into. And but you know it's it's a it's the one thing. Well, I mean, you know, maybe that discomfort for them is not just you know the the fact that the part that they get. I don't know. I'm, I'm reading too much into it, but um, <laughs> I, I feel like that all of the the, the things that we've this whole country is way too comfortable. Um, you know, I think that the you know this dopamine nation you're talking about plays just into that role so yeah. much. We're, yeah. we're so comfortable that we're having to find stuff to bring ourselves yeah. to these next levels. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I love this. So let's say you could, and this is going to be kind of a, maybe a dig a little bit back into Colby. And I, I know I just said I was going to, but what, what, if you could wave a magic wand and uh, fix something, what would, what would you want to make better about yourself? Uh, I would love to be able to do SOPs and, and checklists and be really thorough and detail oriented because I, sometimes I'm, I make errors that could have easily been prevented if I was just slowing down and checking the boxes a little bit more carefully. And that's really frustrating. So a lot of times I have to pump the brakes for, for me. So part of my job is, um, with Chris Carr as community manager is, um, curating that client experience and proofing a lot of communication that goes out to clients. And I hate it when I make a mistake on that. I mean, that is like, you know, it's dot every I cross every T kind of stuff. And I've made myself, I have a, a work rhythm where I'll do it, pass through it once, take a break and then come back to it because that's a better, um, that just, i I work better that way and I'll catch more errors if I do it that way. But if I ever don't do it that way and I'm just kind of like rushing to get it out the door, I will always make errors. And that's so frustrating. So that's what I would change. I would be higher and follow through, but you can't be high in fact finder, follow through and quick start. Well, this is what I was going to get to. Um, what do you, I'm going to ask you the opposite question. What are you the best at the world at? I'm so good at, I have a couple of superpowers. One of them's parallel parking. That's not very useful. Um, <laughs> The other one is conversations, like talking to people, connecting with people. I feel like I'm very good at building relationships. And that's my number one strength is genuine curiosity. Like I'm just very curious about other people and why they think the way they think, why they do the way that they do it. And so that's my superpower is leaning into curiosity with people. I can talk to like literally anybody, Ted, and, and find something interesting about them and memorable and that's my superpower is being curious when it comes to people and relationship building. All right. So here's the, here's the fun question I wanted. This is why I had asked this. Which of those two things, the thing that you wanted to fix, the follow through, the being able thing, or the uh, being able to dig into someone's psyche and just find these new, little, which of those do you think is more special? My superpower, my curiosity that fuels every part of my personality. Absolutely. So you're, you're one of the, you're one of the rare people that probably thinks that this thing that they do best in the world is actually that special. Most people oh, think really? that 
this other thing that they're just wish they were so much better at. They just think that's just so amazing, you know, and so cool. And they really just discount this wonderful gift that they have. And this is one reason why I want to ask this question, because uh, for those of y'all, I mean, maybe the few of you may have met Dieter before, but there's not many of you because of this, the the nature of this podcast, but um, she is one of the most self-aware people I've ever met uh, who just knows these kind of things and is able to, to find this thing that she does that is special and do it because it is special. And that's a real rare gift too, Deidre, um, to, to have that sort of thing. So it's, hey, kudos to you for being able to figure that kind of stuff out because most of us haven't. We're all, we're all God, man, I'm just so envious that they can finish that stuff. I can't finish uh, that. Listen, I wish I could take all the credit for this, but unfortunately, well, or fortunately, however you look at it, that was actually a breakthrough I had in therapy years ago was my therapist was asking me questions. We were digging and talking about what I love about myself. And that during a very dark time in my life was the one thing that I was able to hold on to that I really loved about myself. And it became this, this tether for me was I have this superpower of curiosity and that's what fuels my love for people, my relationship building skills, all of those things. You know, who talks about this too is Gay Hendricks in the book, The Big Leap, which I love that book. I, I, I think Gay's really interesting. His writing's very interesting. I don't agree with 100% of everything he writes and, and says, but 90% of it. And one thing he talks about is finding your unique zone of genius. And I feel like that's my zone of genius is being curious about people and how the world works. And um, he kind of gives you like this run through of how to figure out your zone of genius. And it does cultivate a lot of self-appreciation for, for, for yourself, a lot of trust in yourself. And that's really valuable. Yes, thank you for saying. So I want to hit you with a couple of rapid fire questions. We're going to try and keep these short if we can. Um, what did you disagree with when you were younger that now makes total sense to you? Oh, gosh. So many things. What did I disagree with? Um, My parents were super protective when I was a kid about messaging that was coming into me, messaging from, you know, whether it was media or other adults in my life, whatever. They were super protective about that. And now I totally get it. And I'm so like I was telling you before we started recording, I don't ever have the news on my kids. Like we don't even have cable because I just want to protect that messaging and and the messages that they're intercepting. So I didn't understand that or agree with it. And now I'm like, oh, totally. Like I thought my parents were super strict and sheltering They're No, not at all. (laughs) They were wise. Apparently. So that was great. What surprised you the most about this transition from what you were doing to what you're doing now that you did not expect? I didn't expect the transition to be so stressful on me. Like emotionally, I felt very fragile the whole month of doing the transition. I gave four weeks notice and I was incredibly emotional the entire time. I felt like I was just on the brink of, you know, crying in a moment's notice. And I did cry a lot. Um, that really surprised me. And then also when I jumped into the new role, I was so shocked at how easy it was. You don't realize how much you've learned and how, what skills you have in your toolkit until you have to pull them all out and use them. And I was so surprised with how easily I was able to get up and running and, and fit in with the company. I did a call with Chris 
And she was like, well, I'm just checking in. I think you've been here for three months. And I was like, I've been here for three weeks. What are you talking about? I've been here for three whole weeks because it felt like such a natural fit. And that was surprising. So is this how you thought this would all work out? No, nothing, nothing. I have at least once a day. I'm like, I did not think my life was going to go this way at all. In so many ways, I never thought. What do you think was the biggest thing that got you to where you are right now? I think it was starting to work with at full focus when I got hired there because they didn't just give me, they didn't just develop me professionally, but they developed me personally in deep, meaningful ways. And they supported me when I went through my divorce and I became a single mom. I was an employee there and they stood, they supported me in ways that I can't even begin to tell you just the outpouring of love and support and not just in words, but in actions and in really life-changing ways for me and being supported and cared for in that way changed my life. Absolutely did 100%. And, and meeting the people that I met there, I met some of my very best friends and mentors through that company. And I think that they've had the biggest. Marissa Hyatt, she's just calling me one of my best friends from the company. Um, it had the, it's had the biggest impact on the trajectory of my life and not just, and also like being able to provide for my family as a single mom was huge and having that job to lean into. So maybe that was more than what you bargained for, but I really do think not only did it develop me professionally, but personally it made a, a, a huge impact on my life and my kids' lives. Yeah. So if there's one last thing you think everybody needs to hear from you before we end this <laughs> painfully in it because I really don't want to end, but I got to, um, what do they need to hear? Nobody needs to hear anything that important from me. Um, oh gosh. Why'd you have to set it up like that? I got nothing for you. Well, you know, this is, this is kind of the best way to say it because I mean, this is the humble person that I know of you. Uh, you're just, <laughs> I mean, seriously, I mean, this is exactly kind of what I expected, you know, but y'all just understand. I mean, the gold she has dropped on the floor here around this last hour is amazing. And I've been Aww. getting to be in front of this for the last three years, and I can't wait to be in, the, for, in front of this for the, almost the rest of my life, I hope. Um, not in addition to what she's doing, uh, what she has done with Full Focus and what she's uh, doing currently, uh, she's the newest member of our mastermind group that you guys have heard Lisa Martha Robbins before on the podcast. Uh, we have the best um, mastermind group on the planet. I don't care what anybody else thinks. Ours is the best. That's the way it has to be. <laughs> But uh, Deidre, thank you so much for being here today. I, I, this is an amazing hour, and uh, I hope it was as much fun for you, or at least half as much fun for you as it was for me. It was. It was so fun. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you. Hang 
on. I'm so sorry. We have to cut. This dog is getting into a box. <laughs> Ow! Oh my God. What did you do to you? Quit. Go lay down. He's eating. Oh my gosh. That's not food. This is what Zoom. A styrofoam peanut. This is what Zoom has done for the world has made everything like this okay. <laughs> for real. This idiot just ate a styrofoam peanut, so we'll probably be at the the vet's office getting his stomach pumped here and here, here in a hot minute. Um, okay, 